If you have your Bibles, you can open to Ephesians. That's where we're going to be today in chapter 1. Let me uh, pray for us. Father, we thank you that um, you are the one who sent yourself to save us and to call us and to make us your own and to give us new hope in this life. And so, Father, I pray that your spirit would teach us this morning, that you would guide us as we look at your words, and that you uh, would use this time to equip us to be your people in the city. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we got started on a new series in the book of Ephesians, and we talked about how this book of Ephesians was written to uh, a people in a place very similar to the context that we live here in L.A. And we saw in the first 14 verses that that Paul begins to remind uh, the church, really God's children, God's people, um, that they've been adopted by no merit of their own. That they were adopted for God's own glory and for God's own praise. And then in verse 15, where we're going to start today... um, Paul goes on and he, he gives thanks and he, and he prays for God's family to continue in the work and continue to bring glory to God by participating in what God is doing and loving the city and caring for the surrounding areas and calling people to believe in Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, I want to pick up reading there. Um, we're just going to kind of work through the passage um, that we've kind of already read this morning. And so verse 15 says this, For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So real quick here, what Paul's remembering is what he's heard about this church family and how this church in Ephesus um, really has lived out the purpose of the gospel. How they how they've cared for that city and how they've they've gone out and started more churches and and now all throughout Asia um, the word of God is being spread and people are are getting to understand and see who Jesus is and Paul's thankful for the work that God has done in their lives and he's thankful f- that that um, that that God is is doing that work and they're participating in it and he prays he says he's praying for them continually. Now this idea of praying continually is not the only time we see this in Scripture, so I thought we should talk about this for a couple seconds. Um, we see this phrase, um, to continually pray or pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians. Um, God says that. And so here in this passage we see that Paul is actually doing that work of praying continually. And as we look throughout Scripture, what we find is that this, this idea of praying continually or praying without ceasing is actually a mark of God's people. It's something that God's people are all about. Just to be clear here, as we think about praying continually, it doesn't mean that you're praying every moment of the day, that you're locked up in some tower like a monk, and that's all you do is pray and sit in a corner. This idea of praying continually is really this idea of of having an ongoing conversation with God. It's the idea that that prayer... um, that, that is, is really the day's responsibilities interrupt your prayer with God. Not, not, not prayer interrupting other things. It's this idea of, of prayer not compartmentalized into whenever I can just kind of fit it in or after I get all my stuff done. It means to persist in prayer, to preserve in it, to, to stay in it, to be devoted to it, to not slack off on it, to really be habitual in prayer. 
It's really the the opposite of random, the opposite of occasional, the opposite of sporadic, the opposite of of intermittent. Um, In other words, God is calling all Christians, all of his children, to make prayer a regular, habitual, reoccurring, disciplined part of your life. It's this idea that, that, that if we treat prayer kind of the same way that you treat eating, or you treat sleeping, or you sleep getting up to go to your job, if you do that. That, that, we, that, we, that we're not hit or miss about it. That we don't assume we're just going to fill in a few cracks and have some time after some, all the other things in my life are done. God is saying, stay focused on giving attention to your relationship with me. Because the reality is that all relationships suffer without focused attention. Any relationship in life will suffer if there's not focused attention in it. And so God is saying, plan to spend time with me in prayer. Spend, plan, plan to spend time in relationship with me. If we look all throughout the Bible, if we look all throughout God's story, we'll see that a life devoted to prayer is really the way that we were always designed to live. Before the rebellion of Adam and Eve, their lives were an open dialogue with God. Where, where they get into trouble is when they actually begin to do things on their own. Really believing that they could decide how to, how to best handle a situation rather than communicating with God about it. And Satan comes along to them and says, you can have wisdom apart from God. You can have the ability to do life without asking God's opinion on it. It's really this idea that that God's opinion doesn't really matter the most. So why should you ask Him? Why do you need to communicate with Him? There's no need to consult Him if His opinion doesn't matter the most. And so what we know is that these first humans chose to go and do life without asking God what's best. And life as they knew it and life as we know it has been lost and is broken. And what Paul is reminding us here is really saying is because of the gospel, because you've been adopted into God's family, you've been restored. And the good news is that the broken relationship with God has been mended through the death and through the resurrection of Jesus. And now you get to once again live in life where there's a constant communication with God. You get to be devoted to prayer. You get to pray continually. The power of the gospel has restored you back to the pre-fall state. It's your new identity now. And so praying and communicating with God is not something that you have to do or something that we just fit in, but it's actually who you are. You get to now ask God's opinion on every subject. You get to live with His opinion mattering the most in every subject matter because it's who you are in Christ now. The gospel has changed us to be a people whose norm is a life devoted to prayer. Being devoted to prayer is your new pattern in life as God's family. So as a family, as as I saw this, I, I want to make sure that I stop there to talk about this because I want to call us and remind us that this is our identity. That we're a people to be devoted to prayer. Not because it's something that Christians do, or because we're going to get some desired result in my life or in the life of someone else or in the life of our city or the life of our church. 
Because it's a gospel issue that we get to now live in. It's who you are. And when we don't live as who we are, we're lying about our identity. And so being and having a life that's devoted to prayer is something that I want to call us as a family to make sure that we're about, to make sure that we're continually communicating with God. Verse 17 goes on, and we see what Paul is going to pray for his people, for God's people here. And please understand, as Paul's praying here, this isn't just some random prayer of Paul's. Um, This is a God-inspired word of Scripture. And God is, is, is giving Paul these words, and he's praying these prayers. This is a God-inspired way to pray for other believers. And so this applies and, and helps us understand how to know how to pray, and how to pray for people in our church, and how to pray for people in our city, and how to pray for, for Christians everywhere, and for, the, for people of God and for God's family. So verse 17 says this. These are the things that he prays. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, so you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, to the fullness of him who fills all in all. So if you go back to verse 17 and we kind of carefully look at uh, this prayer, what we'll find out is this, this prayer kind of works from the general to the specific. In verse 17, um, the first thing he asks is that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of Him. We talked about this some last week, but the best thing that God could give to any person is Himself. Because he's actually the only one that's actually worth glory, the only one that's actually worth praise. And so the best thing he can give is himself. And the truth is that the deepest need of every person in this world is actually to know God. Whether they understand that or not, that is the deepest need of every person that's ever walked this planet, is to know God. Now remember that that Paul is praying this prayer for believers. So this this idea of knowing God is is not a saving knowledge here that he's asking for. The knowledge he's asking for is is this deep experience of God. It's moving past just some some information in our heads to a deep-rooted, conscious experience of who God is. That's the knowledge he's, he's talking about. He's saying, you've been called, you're heirs of God, you have the power of God in you, but yet you don't know it as you could and as you should, and I really want you to know and experience who God really is in the depths of your soul. Verse 19, the prayer says that you may know the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards his children. He's praying that we would be spiritually conscious of God's power towards us as his believers. In verse 18, he says, he says this way, he wants us to experience the hope of our salvation and the power of the resurrection. This is a prayer for a deep heart level knowledge of God. 
that we would know the power and the hope of our salvation and the power of the resurrection. Now, I don't think that I'm alone in this, but I know that for many times for me, I can be very dull to the knowledge of God. I can be dull to the power of the resurrection in my life. And my hope often gets placed in things that are other than God. I, you know, it's not that I don't know that God has the power to raise the dead. And it's not that I don't know that the power of the Holy Spirit lives in me. But yet I walk around living in my own power as if it doesn't matter at times. That I'm just going through many of the same motions that everyone else in the world is doing. And as I thought about this this week, I want to ask this question for us to to think about and to interact on and to to answer. What are some areas that that affects, some things that affects our lives when we know things about God in our heads, but we're not actually experiencing them in our hearts? Where we don't have the, the hope and the power of God actively living in your life. What are some effects that that would take place in your life when that happens? We live with this kind of dull knowledge of God, but not a true heartfelt experience of it. Fear and anxiety. Fear and anxiety, for sure. Impatience. Impatience, yeah. We limit the possibilities of what could be because it's finite versus attached to the power which is infinite. Yeah, we have a very small view of what could actually happen rather than a big view God can do and redeem and restore. Yeah, good. What else? Loneliness. Loneliness. Yeah. We feel like we, we don't actually have a relationship and we become Exhaustion. lonely. Exhaustion. Yeah, for sure. Perfectionism. Perfectionism. Yeah, everyone has to live up to my standard because now I'm God because my knowledge of, of what God has been is I'm making it myself. Yeah. Yeah, we turn to law often, don't we? Yeah, good. What else? Depression. Depression. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think about it, this idea of is choosing cultural explanations rather than looking at Scripture and believing that God's words are actually true when it comes to how do we interact in these things in our culture. Becoming numb. Becoming numb. Yeah. Just kind of walking around with this like... I'm a believer, and I know Jesus, and I'm just kind of here, and I'm waiting for something else to happen. Yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. What's that? Distracted. Distracted. Like distracted from the greater realities of life and God's purposes for what you're supposed to be doing. Instead, you focus on just the same thing animals do, eating and sleeping and not dying. Yeah. We're just about actually just taking care of the life right here, not thinking about anything else. Yeah. I just got to get the daily needs and then I'm good. I might, I've had a good day. Yeah. I think you, this idea is really spiritual apathy. Somebody said that. I think you said that. Um, or this dullness that's set in our heart. From, and I think one of the main reasons for the spiritual apathy um, from a heart level is that we, we truly don't know or don't think about the depth of the binding, deadening power of sin that has been conquered in our lives by God's power. We don't actually think about or understand the reality of the true depth of our depravity. We often, I think, we can walk around with this false sense of the reality that 
that you were kind of healthy before Jesus came and saved you. Maybe not completely healthy, but you were somewhat healthy. Or even in your, this dull state, you think that you have some health in your life. Because the reality is that you are only going to be thrilled by the power of God, by the power of your medicine, if you know the deadly power of the disease that it's actually holding back. See, the truth is, outside of Jesus' death and resurrection, you are blind in complete darkness. We sung, sung about that this morning. That now, but now, because of Jesus, you can actually see. That is a complete transformation. You are blind, and now you can see for the very first time. It's not just some sight in the future that you're waiting to receive. You've received sight right now in the present, in full HD, 1080p, 80p, whatever it is now. Tommy, you'll have to tell me if there's something else that's better than that, 4K or whatever it is. Like You are now seeing for the very first time. If Jesus gave his life to you and you belong to him, you are completely forgiven. And when we truly start to know and experience and see any measure of victory of sin in your life, it should make you amazed at the power of God of what it is to take what is dead and bring it back to life. Dead to life, that's pretty amazing. If I can say so. I think this is so critical to understand and to grow in the knowledge of Jesus in our Christian life. Of who we actually were and who we are now because of Jesus' power to, to die and rise again. I think it's why Paul says later on in some of his other letters that, that he's the chief among sinners. He's grown in the knowledge of how amazing his salvation actually is. And I think it's why Paul prays this for other people. And he, and he doesn't just pray this as a, as a one-time prayer. He says he's praying this continually. To, he's not, he doesn't cease to give thanks for you, remembering your prayers, that you might actually know God. He says this is really where the battle begins, to walk in the light, because being amazed with God's love and a deep understanding of the depths of who you are without Him. And this is where the life of the family of God really begins. And I want to call us, as we're thinking about being constant in prayer, to pray this for each other. To pray this for yourself. To pray this for this church family. To pray this for people in your missional community. We need to desperately ask that the Spirit would give us wisdom and the revelation of the power of God in our lives so we can consciously experience knowing God right here and right now. So that it will affect else in our lives and we won't walk in all those other things that we just talked about. See, the truth is that we cannot know God without the help of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the one who teaches the depths of God. That He awakens and transforms our spirit so that we can see and we can taste and we can know God. We need to pray and ask God that He would take the dullness away. That we would actually experience the power of the resurrection in our lives. That yet as you read the Bible and as you listen to it being taught, it would take effect in your heart, not just some information in your head. Just so you know, I'll just give you a little backdoor thing here, just so you know, when we get up here to, to teach and to talk about, it's not just some information to digest. 
We're teaching you God's truth so that it would take deep root in your hearts. That it would affect the way that you live your life, that it would change your life, and it would change the life of those around you, in your family and in this city, because your life now demonstrates the power of the resurrection. And people would say, I got to get some of that. I need God. We get to live in that reality. The problem is, I think even as I say that, some of you may think that's just hype. Or it's just idealistic to think, or vague theoretic reality. It's more fiction than the true Christian life. But this is the true way of who we've been designed to be. I think it's why he spends the next three verses describing what the power of the resurrection did in the life of Jesus so that we would understand just a little glimpse of the, what the power of the resurrection can do in us now. Take a look at what this, these verses say about the, what the power of the resurrection did in Jesus' life. In verse 20, it says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So this is, a, this, is a, this is pretty obvious, just so you know, if you missed it, the dead came alive. Death to life. The power of the resurrection. Jesus raised from the dead. He broke the power of death. And God raised Jesus from the dead. Never to die again. Not to just like go on and then like a couple years later like get sick and die. Never to die again. That's the power of the resurrection. The point Paul is making here is that the power of death is broken for all who are in Christ Jesus. The enemy, death, is defeated. The death of Christ was the death for all of God's children. Yes, believers still die, but that horrific event of death now has become a paradise or a pathway to paradise. With all eternity now get to spend with the greatest one in the universe, in the presence of God himself. 1 Corinthians says it this way, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death and the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death is defeated. I know we're white, but someone can say hallelujah and amen at some times. Right? Like, this is amazing power. Death has been defeated. It doesn't stop there. It goes on and says, this is what happens to Jesus because the resurrection has seated him at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. God has seated him in the right hand. And here's the amazing part. He put us there also. Ephesians, later on in Ephesians 2, it says this. God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is the power of the resurrection right now. To live and to die for the glory of Christ. The power that took Jesus from death and put him eternally in God's presence puts you there right now as well, at the right hand of God. In verse 21, it says that Jesus is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. If you look further on in Ephesians chapter 6, it says that we know that these rulers and authorities include all of, includes the devil and includes the demons and includes all of the universe. In Colossians 2, it says, At the cross, God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to shame by triumphing over them in Christ. 
What that means is at the resurrection, when Jesus rose from the dead, he was exalted as over the host of hell. They are a defeated foe. And I want to say that is really good news for us in this city. Because this city, there's a stronghold for Satan. And there are many spiritual battles and many oppression that comes from Satan and his demons. And the good news is that although there are still battles to be felt, we get 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 fought. We get to live in the power of God and the power of the resurrection now for daily life. He's already been defeated and you get to live in the power of that. You're fighting with someone that has already been squashed. And the good news is that there is a greater power in you than he who is in the world. Right? That we get to now walk in the power in the midst of oppression, in the midst of the the havoc that they try to, to, uh, to achieve in our city and in our own lives and the lives of others, and we get to look at them and say, no, you've been defeated, and the power of the resurrection allows me to walk now in hope and in grace. There's more. Take a look at verse 22 and 23. It says, the resurrection of Jesus did this. It put all things under his feet and gave him as a head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. So two things here. First one is this. Jesus is head over all things. Head. That means, uh, implies authority, a conscious, active rule over all history, both in the past and in the future. Over all human beings, over all demonic powers, over all militaries, over all governments, over all presidents, over all kings, chiefs, religions, universities, solar systems, stars, galaxies, molecules, atoms, subparticles, anything else you can think of that has been discovered or has not yet been discovered, Jesus head over them all. It's crazy. The second thing is this amazing thing is that the resurrection, what happened at the resurrection is actually formed and made the church. You see, when Jesus was on earth, Jesus had, had, a, had one kind of body, a body just like yours and mine, a physical body, and he suffered in it, and he died in it, so that we might now live. And because he's been raised and, and is um, from the dead and sits at the right hands of God, but Jesus is still on earth. Jesus is on earth, and he has a different kind of body. And his body is named the church. I know you hear this most weeks, and Brad said, don't turn it off when you get on an airplane, but in the intro, but we want you to see this here in Scripture because it's one of Satan's most subtle lies that I think is so infiltrated and affected most believers and not yet believers when they think about the church. Verse 23, when it refers to the church, it says, which is his body? The church is Christ's body. It's not a building. In the New Testament, the church never refers to a building or a place or a gathering. It always refers to a people of God. The disciples of Jesus, the elect from all nations, they are the body of Christ. And so today on this earth, Jesus has a body, and it's walking around, and it's called the church. It has legs, it has arms, it has mouths to talk, it has feet to be blistered, it has backs to be beaten, it has eyes and hearts to see the needs of the world. And Jesus is present in this world, in his body, the church. And the goal of the church is not to just fill our minds with some knowledge, but to fill all of our city and all of the world with the knowledge of Jesus. 
to become what Jesus wants to be in his body, not only for each other, but also for the city and for the unreached people in all the world. I don't know if you caught this at the end of verse 23, but it says, this is how the, it says the church is how God fills the world now. So the filling effect of Christ's authority, Christ ruling all things, where there's, there's no place or heart where his power does not exist or sway or accomplish exactly what he wants to do to bring glory and power for himself. And what he's saying is, is the church then as his body is now he accomplishes and fills all those things. That means that God's plan to fill the universe with the glory of His Son Jesus is by making the church His showcase for all of His, dis- his perfections to display as an embodiment of, for His Son. Jesus fills the universe with His glory by showing the universe His body, His church, His people how He chose her, how He destined her, how He came for her, how He taught her, how He suffered for her, how He died for her, how He rose for her, how He reigns for her, how He calls people to her, how He justifies her and cleans her and keeps her and pursues her and is going to raise her up and glorify later and satisfy her for all eternity. That is how God is revealing His power and filling the glory of all the universe by how he's working with his church. That's an amazing thing. That's the power of the resurrection that has taken place now. Later on in Ephesians 3, it tells us that, that, that Jesus was revealed in order to, to, that the manifold wisdom of God might be known through the church, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. If you are a follower of Jesus, that is you now. That is me now. That is the power of the resurrection. It's an amazing that, that we are revealing now the wisdom of God everywhere we go. That God is actually filling all the nooks and crannies of the universe with His glory so that praise would resound from every corner of the world and from every part of the city. From the beaches to the valley, from South Central to Lancaster, wherever you go in this city, that God is making himself known and he's doing it through the power of his people, the church. The reality is that we get to now serve alongside him as the head, as the leader, as the savior, as our king, as our friend, and it's the power for daily life. You see, that's why it's so important that we get this right as a church. That a church is not merely attending a service or giving of your dues or, or it's, it's actually this idea of coming together as a family of God's people that we believe we're called to be on mission to serve our city that we, and that we want to be better equipped to do that every day. And we need to continually pray that that would take place. That we pray that for each other, that that God's glory would be filled in our lives and that that we would not lose sight of the resurrection. That our hearts would not grow dull towards, towards God's work and towards His power to actually redeem us as this church. We need to continually ask the question, how do we fulfill the mission of Jesus to make disciples who believe and live out the gospel by displaying and declaring who God is and what He's done in us through Jesus Christ and teaching us to, that His reign over us 
supersedes any other thing in our culture or in our lives or anything else that we would run after. And so we need to ask those questions. We need to pray, is your life demonstrating the gospel? Is your life declaring the gospel? Is your life declaring the hope and the power of the resurrection, both in how you interact and how you speak? Because I think too often I find people, and myself, myself included, that we can often sometimes declare things with our lips or know things in our head, but deny it in our actions by how we live so we really truly don't know it. And we need to pray and ask God to both be displaying and growing the knowledge, this deep knowledge, this conscious knowledge, this experienced knowledge of Him in our life. We need, we need both of this to happen in our lives, this idea that Jesus was the fullness of the gospel. And Jesus both declared it with His mouth and He declared it with His life at the cross and at the resurrection. Now, just to be clear, we don't replace Jesus. We're not the fulfillment of the kingdom. He is. But we will demonstrate what we believe by how we live. We will demonstrate what we truly know in our hearts and what we are truly experiencing by how we live. And I want us to be a church, to be a people that not just know that we've been called to fill every nook and cranny of the universe with the glory of God so that we can praise Him more and more and more people will get to see Him and more people will get to praise Him, but that we would truly, deeply experience that in our life and not just have some head knowledge of it, but deep, heartfelt consciousness of it. And so I want to call us as a people to really pray that the power of the resurrection would take root in our lives. To pray for it continually. This is not a one-time prayer. It's something that we need to be reminded of over and over and over again because our hearts want to run after everything else in the world. And we can take every little thing and make it an idol and make it something that is bigger and greater than the hope of the resurrection. And as we just read, and hopefully as I just shared, the power of the resurrection is greater than anything else. It's greater than any power or anything that could ever happen and has ever happened and ever will. It's why it's the climax of the story of God. Because God's power of the resurrection now gives us a hope for the future and a life right now. Father, we thank you that you didn't just send Jesus to die to take our place, to take our punishment. But that you rose him from the dead. That you defeated all death. That we get to now, as your body, experience the power of the resurrection. Father, what an amazing, gracious thought that we get to now be the body of Jesus walking this planet. Father, I pray that we would not see that as, as some duty or some responsibility, but that we would truly see it as a gracious hope that we get to now walk in, as a new identity of life, that we now, as the people of God, get to live in a new way, displaying your glory and your grace to this world. Father, we pray that you would infiltrate all of the places and the dark places of people's hearts in this city and in this world, and that you would call many to yourself and adopt more kids into your family. 
Father, pray that you would make us a people of prayer, that we are continually uh, and interacting with you, that it would be purposeful in our lives, that we would plan for relationship with you. So, Father, we thank you that we get to worship you this morning and we get to continually worship you throughout the week and for all eternity. Father, we pray that we would live in these truths. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.